a short break from our series on sibling rivalries to look at the purpose of suffering, the suffering of the faithful. How are we, how are we to uh, interpret uh, the suffering that God's people endure at various times in their lives? Job chapter uh, 2 is going to set for us uh, the context upon which we are going to see the godly response to suffering. Job uh, chapter 2, that's found on page 492. Uh, Job chapter 2, the first 10 verses. Again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came up among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And that's as far as we're reading in Job chapter 2. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this evening we are going to consider the suffering of the righteous. When God's people suffer, when they endure hardships, what can we say? When the righteous endure hardship and tribulation, what comfort can we bring? How should we view and how should we respond to suffering? One of my responsibilities as your pastor is to prepare you for the bitter cup of suffering. As some of you have, some of you are, and all of you will one day endure suffering. The fact is, suffering changes us all. Some are hardened when they endure trial. They accuse God of wrongdoing, as Job's wife did in our passage. Curse God and die, was her response. While others, when they endure hardship, are, are humbled. Their faith is, is challenged, and over time that faith grows. As Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
one of the ways that we can apply the life of Job is to point to the parallels between Job's life and the righteous one, Jesus Christ. How Jesus Christ himself uh, suffered unjustly. Uh, Jesus Christ also suffered temptation at the hands of Satan and at the hands of wicked men. But the suffering of Jesus Christ is unique, and it's at a whole different level because the suffering of Jesus Christ is what secures our propitiation. The, the satisfaction of God's justice, the forgiveness of our sins, is secured in the suffering of Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ's suffering remains unique, bar none. But Jesus did say in Matthew chapter 16, Take up your cross and follow me. So although our suffering does not secure our atonement, the fact does remain that we are called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And that means that we will face suffering. John puts it this way, In this world you will face tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome this world. It is difficult to talk about suffering when you are in the midst of it. In fact, Job's friends had it right when they came and they sat with Job for seven days and didn't say a word. So we must be very careful and not rash and rush to false assertions as we proceed. But it remains that God's people are to be prepared to be prepared for suffering because you will face it in this world. As I said before, some of you are drinking from that bitter cup right now. The past few months I've been wrestling with the best way, the appropriate time to, to bring the subject of suffering to the forefront because we need to know what suffering is. And how we are to respond to it. And my, my hope, my prayer for you is this. That as we look at suffering, it is the comfort of God's presence through the suffering, in the suffering. That's where the good news comes. It's God's presence with us while we endure. So we're going to be looking at this theme. Jesus Christ reveals the comforting presence of God to those enduring hardship we see this truth and as we come to to grasp this truth there is a correlation between the level of comfort and the level of understanding in other words the better we understand who god is and what god is doing the higher our comfort rises so at issue is this how do you suffer well will you suffer well when it comes in our first point we consider the various ways in which job suffered suffering can and does come in many forms and in many different ways both internally and externally spiritually and physically. It can be applied by various means, both at the hand of friend and by the hand of foe. Knowing Job and what happened to Job in chapter 1, 
Job was basically left without anything. Everything was stripped away. All of his possessions were removed. His animals were either uh, stolen or burned up in the fire, as we find in chapter 1. All of his servants were put to death by the sword. His own children crushed by the weight of the house in which they were staying. And after this, how does Job respond? What is Job's response to losing all of his earthly possessions and his own children? The righteous man Job says this, The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, Satan had been attacking Job because Job was righteous. But Job does not know this. Job is not privy to the information we receive in chapter 1. He simply receives it. He doesn't know why these things are happening to him. And yet the devil presses his attack in chapter 2. Job's own body is covered with sores from the bottom of his foot to the crown of his head. So that he sits on a pile of dust, takes a broken piece of pottery and scratches his skin for some form of relief. And then his wife comes to him and says, Job, why are you clinging to your faith? Why are you remaining pure in your righteousness? Job, curse God and die. Be done with this. What was Job's response? Job says this, Shall we receive good from the Lord's hand? And not ill? Verse 10 concludes the matter this way. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And jumping forward a little bit, you'll remember that Job's friends sat with Job for seven days. This is verse 13 didn't say a word. They just suffered with him. But when they do finally open their mouths, what do Job's friends say? Job's friends begin to attack Job and accuse him of wrongdoing. Just for one example, Job 4, verse 70. When have the innocent ever, per- ever perished? In other words, Job, since this happened to you, you must have done something really bad. Bad things do not happen to good people, Job. And look what happened to you. You must have done something really wicked. So not only is Satan accusing and attacking Job, his own friends and his own wife are attacking him and leading him to sin. What little left Job has is turned to a curse as his own wife and friends turn against him. But in all this, Job holds fast to his integrity. He refuses to curse God or to blaspheme his holy name. So on our first point, we, we simply see this. 
Creation groans and we groan. We live in a fallen world. We possess fallen bodies. Everything is not right. But did we specifically do something? Are are our actions the reason why these things come upon us? Well, it wasn't with Job. And the fact remains for God's people, whatever suffering we may endure is not a sign of being under God's wrath and anger. In fact, Scripture says God is treating us as children. More than that, dearly loved children. This doesn't make sense to our minds. If God loved me, wouldn't God give me a a life of ease and pleasure and happiness and success? But Scripture says if God loves you, He will discipline you and treat you as a loved child. This is deep. This is hard theology. So why did Job suffer this way? Why did so many ills fall on this one man? It's not because of his sin. It's because he was righteous. The trials were a sign of his piety and holiness. Now this might sound contradictory. Why would Job suffer for being righteous? Well, that's the very thing our passage we read in in Job 1, verse 8. Job is blameless and upright, one who fears the Lord and turns away from evil. This should be a comforting truth for God's people. We suffer not because of God's anger or His wrath or His displeasure of us. We suffer not because of our sin, but because God is working in us. And as we're going to see, He's working through us for a reason, and that reason is good. So we catch a a glimpse into the secret working of God, but Job doesn't hear this. Job doesn't see this. Job doesn't know this, and yet Job humbles himself. God is going to prove his power as he tests his son Job's resolve. All the while knowing the end of the matter. The Lord is going to use this trial to test Job's faith and refine that faith like gold in the furnace. Job's faith is going to grow because of this trial. Job will say this in Job chapter 42, that's the end of the book. He says it this way, I know that you, O Lord, can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. In other words, Job says, whatever happens, happens to me because You have sent it because you have done it. If you have a purpose, that purpose cannot be thwarted, cannot be undone. We find a similar problem in John 9, verse 2. That's where Jesus' disciples are speaking about this man born blind. And John's disciples, Jesus' disciples in John 9 say this. Jesus hears this man who was born blind. 
was it this man and his sin that caused him to be born blind or was it his parents' sin that caused him to be born blind? The answer that Jesus gives is one that, that turns everything on its head. Jesus' answer is this. It wasn't his sin. It wasn't his parents' sin. In fact, the reason this man was born blind was to show the world God's power was to put on display my work. So do you mean to tell me that this man was born blind in order to put on display God's power, His work, His majesty? Yes. Somehow, God is going to get glory for Himself. He's going to put His works on display through this suffering. Again, brothers and sisters, this is deep doctrine. This is not for the faint-hearted. This is not for babies. This is grown-up doctrine. This is serious. God is working through all things. What is the end result of God's work? Corinthians says God works all things for His glory. Romans 8.28 God works all things for the good of those who love Him. God working all things for His glory. God working all things for the good of His people. And that includes pain and suffering. That seems wrong to our ears. And if God's Word had not said it, I would not dare declare it. But the fact remains, in Job's life, and in Paul's life, and in your life, suffering has a purpose. That purpose is God's glory and your good. Even as you walk through the waters and stand in the fire, God is sovereign. God is good. He is bringing about His glory and working all to your benefit. Now the future for us remains hidden in our lives, but we do know that the end will in fact be good. The good end that we are all looking forward to is an inheritance, a home and glory. Mansions filled with honor, dwelling with Jesus Christ. And as we walk through the trial... Remember, Paul prayed that the thorn would be taken from him, and God's answer was this, My grace is sufficient for you in your time of need. I hear your prayer, Paul, but I'm not going to take that thorn away. Because today, the thorn pricks. One day, that thorn gives way to a rose. Paul even says that the current sufferings are light, insignificant compared to the weight of glory that will be revealed. So there are, are blessings in store for God's people who suffer and yet endure in their faith. 
Joseph made the same confession in Genesis chapter 50. What you meant for evil, God meant it for good, even the saving of many souls. So as God's people, we need to remind ourselves of what we know is true. We need to be careful in our, in our conclusions, lest we jump to the wrong answer. When the question of why rises within, the answer that we have to impress, this truth needs to be seared upon our souls. And we have some, some young adults, young people sitting over here. You need to learn this now. Because in the future is when it will be tested. Are you convinced that this is true? It needs to be seared on your heart. So that when the trial comes, you can stand firm. God has a purpose here. He is good. And I submit myself to him. As Romans 5 says, excuse me, suffering produces endurance, character, and a hope that does not disappoint. So this is the truth that we need to tell ourselves. That we need to preach to our own souls. My God is good. He's a loving father. And I know he's doing something good. Well, now that we understand why these trials come, it's not because of our sins. It's because God's doing something good. In our final point, we look at how we are to respond as we go through these trials. The earthly response or the human response is to avoid suffering at all costs. But a Christian is one who stands firm in suffering and endures while standing in the flame. Job says this clearly in Job 13, verse 15. That's Job 13, verse 15. Though my God slay me, yet I will trust him. So instead of driving Job away from the Lord, the trials drove him to the Lord. Children, you might remember uh, Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were cast into the fiery furnace. Do you remember that in that furnace there was another? A fourth standing in the flame? When God's people endure trials and tribulations, the comfort we have is that we know that we are not alone and that God has not forsaken us. Listen to Isaiah 43. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Or Psalm 23, verse 4. When you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you need not fear evil because your God is with you. When God's people endure trials and tribulations, the fact that God is with them, beside them, carrying them, is where they find comfort. 
we have faith in a God who is present. So the answer to the question of what we should do when we are in times of trials, suffering pain, enduring tribulation, the answer to the question is this. What should we do? It's hold fast to God and His promises. The faith that God's suffering saints have in God is not a faith that is blind or baseless. True, it is not built on what we see with our physical eyes. But true faith is faith built on reality. Children, you might remember when your parents were teaching you how to swim, your dad probably stood inside the pool and you were standing on the edge of the pool And your dad would have said to you, little one, jump into my arms, I will catch you. Although you see the water, and you know that if you enter the water and its water water goes over your head, you will drown. But what moves us to to jump as children is that we have a, a greater confidence in our Father's ability to catch us than we have a fear of the water. In a similar way, God's people are called to have this childlike faith in their Abba Father. When we see the water, when we hear the diagnosis... We don't focus on that. We focus rather on the hands of the Father who catches. As Isaiah 43 illustrates, when you pass through the waters, they will not overwhelm you. When you stand in the fire, you will not be consumed because God is with you. The confidence we have as children in a heavenly father is the confidence in a God who loves, who cares, and who catches. Loved and cared for by a God who is there and stays there. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. When you're in the water, I'm not going to let you go. You won't drown. It may just be, brother or sister, that the good end God is bringing, working in you, is a stronger faith, a deeper trust that relies on your Abba Father. It may be that the good end is stirring within you a desire for a better future. That the trial is causing the things of this world to fade as the things to come draw near. This comforting presence that our Father promises us is a presence that was secured for us by Jesus Christ. 
You might remember that when Jesus was on the cross and the sky turned dark, Jesus called out to God, Why have you forsaken me? You see, the fact is, on the cross, Jesus was forsaken by the Father so that we would never be forsaken. Jesus suffered without the comforting presence of his Father so that we would never suffer without the comforting presence of our Father. Jesus suffered the forsaking of the Father so that we would never suffer that experience. You are never alone. This truth must be sealed upon us. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. You comfort me. You hold my head above the waters. You hold my hand in the flame. Through the trial, in the valley, through the storm, that must be your comforting hope. It's on that solid rock that we all must stand. To conclude, the pathway to the promised land is not easy. During our pilgrimage, various storms, thorns, floods, and fires must be traversed. But the comforting truth that remains is that through it all, we have a loving Heavenly Father who is there. We have a Father who placed us in the hands of His Son, Jesus. And we are so firmly in the hands of Jesus, in the hands of our Good Shepherd, that there is nothing, not height, depth, principality, power, sickness, or death, can remove us from His hand. So let us all be sober. Let us be ready so that we're not caught by surprise when trials come. And for those of you that are currently in the middle of the fire, stand on this truth. The Father will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And you can look forward to the time when you will see your Savior's face. Job said this, I know that my Redeemer lives. And one day after this body has, has wasted away and turned to dust and ash, I will see my Savior in the flesh. I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last He will stand upon this earth. So the comforting truth of the Heavenly Father who is with you, the comforting truth of the resurrection and the life everlasting, may these truths carry your heavy-laden soul to a place of comfort and rest. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this great truth that we as your children 
are promised your presence. That you as the sovereign God are working all things for your glory and for our good. By your spirit, fill us with your peace that passes understanding. And may we hold firm and steadfast to your promises. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.